Welcome to the Upper Room Sermon of the Week. For more information, go to URFellowship.com. Well, good morning. My name is Chris. We haven't met. I'm the teaching pastor here. Um, so we, as like I said, we're doing things a little bit differently today, and I'm not not trying to throw anyone off, but we are switching some things around. I'm going to give a sermon now, and then we will have the <clears throat> the singing worship time after that. And I'll tell you why. Um, we are in a series called Peculiar People, and why we're doing this series is because as Christians, we have, or we're, we are to have, different motivations. We live in a different way. Um, and, and today we are going to talk about a very peculiar thing that Christians do, and that is we get together every week and we sing songs. Have you, have you ever thought about how peculiar that is? To an outsider who's not familiar with the church or with a worship gathering, this scene in this room might look somewhat funny. What is this, a bunch of adults gathering together for a sing-along? And the answer is yes, and, and there's a reason we sing. There's a reason every week we come into this room and we sing. So today we're going to talk about that. We're going to look at this, this peculiar thing that we do, which is worship and sing. And the reason that we're, we, we put the singing part of the service at the end is so that we can, we can respond to the sermon. We're going to hear and learn about worship and singing, and then we're going to sing together. Okay? So let's jump in. All right? Everybody good? Okay, good. So, so to begin here, we have to answer the question quickly, what is worship? Before we get into singing, and, and then we'll get into the why do we sing. So, so what is that about? So, so definition. The definition of worship. Worship is ascribing ultimate value to something. So if you, if you read the Ten Commandments, the first commandment God gives us is, you shall have no other gods before me. You must worship me rather than something else. Notice, God holds out no possibility that you're worshiping nothing. Okay, that, that isn't an option. He says you'll either worship me or you'll worship something else. You see, everyone builds their lives or gives their hearts and sets their hopes or ascribes ultimate value to something because you have to live for something. The novelist uh, David Foster Wallace at one point in an, in an interview said, we are all dying to give our lives away to something. Everyone has to find their meaning in something. Everyone looks either at their career or a person or their family or professional acclaim or their art or, or their comfort even or you know, their business or their achievements or, or their God, and they find their worth in it. The word worship actually comes from the old English phrase, worth shape, to be shaped by the worth of something. You're being shaped by the worth of something. Everybody is. That's worship. You're looking at whatever your God is, basically, and you're being shaped by the worth of it. Okay, so believing that, understanding that, believing that our lives are shaped and transformed by what we worship and actually having a life that is transformed by what we worship. To get from one to the other, to get from belief to character change, you have to have spiritual disciplines or Christian practices. Christian practices are how belief gets changed into character. So, so do you know what the number one commanded Christian practice is? It's, it's prayer. Do you know what the second most commanded Christian practice in the Bible is? Number two is we're commanded to sing God's truth, to sing God's praises. We're commanded. 
there's something like uh, like a hundred places where you're commanded to sing to God. For example, Psalm 33, 1 through 3 says, Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with a harp. Make music to him on the ten-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. Joyful singing to God's praises, or joyful singing of God's praises is a command. It also says it's fitting, which means it fits us. It's what we spiritually need. Why would music and singing be that important? Why is it what we need? In Hebrews 13, it says, Hebrews 13, 15, it says, uh, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a praise of sacrifice, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. So that's talking about an offering, and it says lips that profess his name. Not, not just heart, not just thought, but, but lips. God wants from us lips of praise, lips that speak and sing the praises of his name, real sounds. Real words as an offering. And when the Bible says offer things to God, those are always valuable things. God never says just, you know, just throw some mud up there on the altar as a sacrifice. The things you, you're supposed to put on the altar are valuable things. Music and singing is one of the most valuable and powerful things we have. That's why Martin Luther said, he said this, if you want to comfort the sad... If you want to terrify the happy, if you want to encourage the despairing, if you want to humble the proud, if you want to pacify the aggressive, there's no more effective means than music. And you might be saying, all right, yeah, so music kind of stirs the emotions. If you, if you put the words to music, it kind of makes people more emotional about the words. No, that's, that, there's more to it than that. Ashley Kahn, who was a music critic, wrote a book on the, on the saxophonist John Coltrane's famous album, uh, Love Supreme. Uh, and in the book, Con writes, As I listened to the album again and again, I felt impelled to address Coltrane's spirituality. Though I consider myself a dedicated, dedicated agnostic and a diehard rationalist, I am ready to admit there is much that can seem the handiwork of some eternal force under spiritual direction. Leonard Bernstein uh, was once talking about Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, and this is this is what he said. He said, he said, Beethoven turned out pieces of breathtaking rightness. Rightness, that's the word. Our boy Beethoven had the real goods, the stuff from heaven. Beethoven has the power to make us feel at the finish of his symphony that there's something right in the world, something that checks throughout, something that follows its own laws consistently, something we can trust, something that will never let us down. Here's Bernstein and here is Ashley Kahn. They're both they're both secularists. They don't believe in a God necessarily, and they say with our heads we believe there's nothing behind the universe. And life actually has no meaning, and we're just accidents and we want to feel significant, but we're not. But when but when they hear great music, they know better. They can't avoid knowing better. They won't even use the, the God word. Bernstein has to talk about the stuff of heaven. And Ashley Kahn says, well, there's a kind of divine hand behind things. Great music makes you know somehow that life is not meaningless, that there is a purpose, that you were created, that you were made for something. Music evangelizes. It tells you the good news that life is not meaningless. It's, it's the reason you can feel, you could feel horrible, horrible about life and then turn on some great music and process your grief. 
This is why music therapy is, be- is becoming so popular in secular realms of society. All these things that the world is learning about health and wholeness, uh, the, the Bible has talked about for thousands of years. There are all these benefits we're learning about the areas of fasting right now. Really? You're just now learning about those, huh? Many secular money managers are now suggesting that people give away a tenth of what they earn. They're finding that it is better for the overall health of people's financial lives to give some away. Interesting new thoughts that we're discovering, right? It wouldn't surprise me in the least if in the next few years scientists discover that communal singing singing is really good for your health. The Bible doesn't just give us a bunch of arbitrary, random suggestions. It tells us the best way to live. We were designed and created for these things. And the second most talked about command is to sing to the Lord. Great music makes you feel there's something right in the universe, something we can trust. That's, that's what Bernstein said. He says, I don't really believe it, but when I hear the music, I have to admit there's something more going on. So why is music... Why is it so powerful and meaningful? The Bible, I think, can explain why why that is. In Job 38, 6 and 7, God is talking about creating the universe. And he says to Job, on what were its footing set or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. And in Proverbs 8, we're told that when God was creating the world in wisdom, the beings, the angels who were watching, they, they danced and they sang for joy. When the Spirit was moving across the faces of the waters in Genesis 1 and 2 and was bringing order out of chaos, there was music. Music is a witness to the reality that life is not random, that this is not an accident, that there is a God of love and peace and joy behind everything, including your life. One of the most interesting passages about music in the whole Bible is in Deuteronomy 31.19. God is... There in Deuteronomy, God has just made a covenant with Israel, but God knows our our hearts want to forget him. We want to move away from him. <laughs> we don't want to believe in him. So here's what he says to Moses. Get this. He says, uh, now write down this song that he's giving them and teach it to the Israelites and have them sing it so that it may be a witness for me against them. So first of all, we're told here God is a composer. God says to Moses, I'm giving you a song. Write it down. This is my song. Why does he want the Israelites to sing it? Because it'll be a witness for me against them. He knows our hearts go astray. That we're prone to wander from him. But when we sing great music, it's a witness. Music is rooted in the reality of God and witnesses to that reality. It's a witness telling us there really is a God. Life is meaningful. That's that's the power of music, to evangelize us about the good news that there is a God who is a creator and that we have purpose and there is meaning in life. Music can also tell us the good news about God's redemption. Uh, A lady by the name of Anne Lamott wrote a book called Traveling Mercies where she tells us She tells about her spiritual journey, how she really found faith in Christ. And there was a time in her life in which she couldn't stand Christianity. She couldn't stand to listen to a sermon. Uh, But there was a church near where she lived. And I guess that 
that just sang great gospel music. And she said she kept on hearing this glorious music coming out of this kind of run-down building on Sunday mornings. And finally, she, she started to go in and she started to sing. And before she could ever, ever bear to even sit through a sermon there, she sang. And she says in her book, she says, something inside me that was stiff and rotting would feel soft. Somehow the singing wore down all the boundaries and distinctions that kept me so isolated. Standing with them to sing, sometimes so shaky and sick, that I felt like I might tip over. I felt bigger than myself. Like I was being taken care of, tricked into coming back to life. God was tricking me through the music. Before she could ever bear to sit through a sermon, the music began to tell her not just about God's creation and his reality, but God's redemption and salvation. Bono of the band U2, in the introduction to a book on the psalm, said, he says, words and music did for me what solid, even rigorous religious argument could never do. They introduced me to God. So why would music have this power? In Ephesians 5.18, Paul says, uh, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to, to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. So let's take that apart a little bit. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, there's something, there's something really interesting here. Why would Paul say it this way? He says, don't be filled with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Well, there must be some ways that being filled with the Spirit is similar to being filled with wine. When you're filled with alcohol, everything is affected by the presence of alcohol. How you think, how you react, what you feel, it's all affected. The first time the Spirit of God fell on the apostles in Acts 1, when they started to talk, when they started to preach, under the power of the Spirit, what did everybody who watched and listened to them say? They said they're drunk, right? Remember that? Why would they say that? Why? Because they began to speak, when they began to speak the word of Christ, they began to talk about Jesus with joy and fearless boldness. Now, one of the ways you can get a lot of joy and fearless boldness is by getting drunk, right? Why? Because being drunk takes your inhibitions away. You don't think about your worries. You don't think about anybody else. Joy and boldness come from being drunk. So in some ways, being drunk and being filled with the Spirit are are similar because being filled with the Spirit also brings joy and fearless boldness. But here's the big difference. Alcohol is a depressant. If you go pick up any book on pharmacology and you look, look it up, you'll see alcohol is a depressant. What that means is it brings you joy and boldness by making you less aware of your, sur- your surroundings, less aware of reality, less in control. That's the reason it makes you happy because you're, you really aren't thinking about the consequences. They're not... They're not real to you. So alcohol gives you joy and boldness by making reality less real. But the Spirit does not bring joy and boldness by making you see less of reality, but by seeing more of reality. In the Spirit, you don't lose control. You gain control. How's that work? Well, let's, let's think of an example. Let's, let's imagine someone really really stabs you in the back, like really betrays you and and hurts your reputation over something. And you realize you'll probably never be able to completely repair your reputation or at least not for a very, very long time. How are you going to deal with that? 
Well, one of the ways is a bottle of alcohol, right? One of the ways is just to not care as much, just to be less aware of your reality. The other way, if you're a Christian, um, is to know what Jesus has done for you and know who you are in him. Because of what Jesus has done for you, God loves you. The only person in the universe whose opinion matters considers you his child. So what's the controlling reality? Is it what Jesus has done for you and who you are in him? Or is it what these people have done to you and who you are in their eyes? Which is the reality? The answer is to be filled with the Spirit and to see the true reality of the situation. And to have the Spirit of God come and take what Jesus has done and make that the controlling reality. And that leads to... Psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord. C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, Reflections on Psalms, one of the most important things I've ever read in my life. He He says, we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are, the delight is incomplete until it is expressed. You hear what he's saying? If you really love something, you don't just praise it because you love it, you praise it in order to love it. When you enjoy something, you don't just praise it because you've enjoyed it, you praise it in order to enjoy it more. Like, have you ever tried to tell somebody what Jesus means to you? Just like with words, it always feels inadequate. It always feels kind of pitiful, doesn't it? But when you stand and you sing it together and sing surrounded by other people what God means to you, and those people are also singing as you sing it, you're enjoying God in a way you could never enjoy Him otherwise. You're delighting in God in a way you never could delight in Him otherwise. That's the reason Anne Lamont said it wasn't arguments. It wasn't sermons, right? I couldn't stand the sermon. But God, through music, was tricking me into coming alive to Him again. So music and singing can have this incredible grace. It can be a vehicle for grace. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> so so here, to end, a, a couple barriers to worship and singing. Maybe some of you are like, well, I'm just a really bad singer. Okay. We're not asking you to sing a solo. When all is said and done, God was very clear that we are to make a joyful noise. He didn't say a harmonic one. He didn't say, make a melodic noise to me. No, he said, make a joyful noise. So much of praising God, without being inhibited, has to do with getting over oneself, has to do with getting over the desire to look a certain way. This is the point that was made when when David is dancing before the Lord. David got caught up in, in the Lord so much one time that he took off his clothes. He's just wearing an ephod, right? Very, very comfortable, but... He's dancing around among all the people of Israel, and his wife rebukes him and said he was looking like a fool, and he rebukes her back. He says, woman, and I don't know how these guys got away with that back in the day. If I said woman, I would have to call one of our elders and go, hey, uh, can I just stay with you tonight? I don't want to explain. It would just be awful. But David said, said, woman, I'll become more undignified than this. You think me and this ephod dancing around is bad? I'll get worse than this. If I get the presence of God, I'm all in. I think so many of us just don't want to look foolish. I can tell you this. God is never going to go, all right, you're just 
you're just kind of making too big a deal about me. Everybody calm down. That's a little bit loud. We're, we're doing some things over here. We're trying to concentrate. No, our praise is an incense into the throne room of heaven. He inhabits the praises of his people. He commands us to enter with singing and rejoicing. This is what we're commanded to do. This is what we're asked to do by God. This attracts the manifest presence of God. It's that clinging to a false dignity that will at times block our ability to really enjoy the God of our salvation. And then also, some guys feel like worship is girly. Right? Emotions and expressiveness and praise and joy. My life is not a Glee episode. I've never looked at a sunset and burst into poetry. Right. Okay. So a couple of things. David praised the Lord with a harp. Not the manliest instrument. Also, David killed a nine-foot giant and cut off his head and carried it back to Jerusalem under his arm. He had a song written about him by ladies about how he'd slain entire armies single-handedly. You ever had girls write a song about you, tough guy? The problem is not that worship is not manly. It's that you may have an issue with being affectionate and expressive. And maybe you're going, well... All this singing and praising stuff, that's emotional manipulation. You're trying to evoke emotions. Okay, a couple things. I'm not trying to manipulate anything. And I am absolutely trying to invoke the emotions. Absolutely I am. When did the devil throw the emotions in the, in the creative order? I've never, you know, I've read the word of God. I know God created you and I know God made you in his image and gave you emotions. That wasn't the devil. The devil didn't swoop in and go, I'm going to give them happiness and gladness and joy. No, God wove that into you. And God wants those emotions to be stirred up by what is true. Now, if your emotions are being invoked by what is not true, then that's manipulation. I have a problem with that. To try to stir up your heart in gladness toward Jesus Christ, there's nothing sinful or wrong about that. So maybe some of you are going, all right, I understand worship, but I can worship a lot of different ways. Why singing? You're right. Worship isn't just singing on Sunday mornings. Your whole life can be lived as worship. But we're told at the beginning of time there was music, Job 38. Music was everywhere when God created the world. Yet in Romans 8, Paul says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the firstborn of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of, to sonship, the, the redemption of our bodies. So this is interesting. Paul says when the world was made, and the world was perfect, and there was no sin and evil here, and no brokenness and disease and death, there was singing and music everywhere. Now we're told things are different. Now nature groans. It doesn't sing in the same way it did. Not only that, but it says we groan inwardly. We used to sing outwardly. Now we groan inwardly. The simple fact of the matter is we don't spend all of our time making melody to God, do we? Our hearts are not filled with music all the time. They're filled with groaning. Or honestly, most of the time they're filled with silence. We don't have anything we want to sing about. So the universe started in music and now it's filled with groaning. But we're told amazingly, in Isaiah 55, when God comes back to renew the world, that we will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. 
The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. And in Psalms 96 it says, Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. God is going to restore the music of creation. And he's going to restore the music of our hearts so there's never any groaning. There's nothing but singing. How's he going to do that? In Hebrews 2.12, Jesus is speaking, and the Hebrew writer tells us Jesus says this to us. He says, I will declare your name to my, to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. The writer of Hebrews is saying that when we stand up to sing praises, if we believe in Jesus Christ, he's standing in our midst, and he's singing to God through us. You know what that means? You, you all know this, but my wife has an amazing voice. Me, uh, not so much. I have kind of a puny, crappy voice. But if, if I can sing next to her, and I kind of sing quietly and blend in with her, the next thing you know, I sound better than I've ever sounded in my life. You know this, right? Somebody with a more powerful and better voice can just surround and envelop your voice and completely hide the flaws in your voice. Yet it's still two voices. And it rises up, and you sound better than you've ever sounded before. You just, you just kind of hope the person doesn't cough, because then suddenly you're singing in your own voice and it just sounds awful again but that's an image of salvation see religion is I do good things for God and then he owes me and he saves me and he blesses me but that's not the gospel the gospel is God gives me a perfect record in Jesus Christ Jesus lived the life I should have lived and died the death I should have died that means my flaws are covered in him that means I'm complete in him which means not only that that when God looks at me, he sees the beauty of Jesus, but when God listens to me, he hears the voice of Jesus. When it says Jesus is singing in the midst of the congregation, it means that when we stand to sing praises, in spite of our flaws and our sins, Jesus sings through us, and God hears this beauty and accepts us and loves us. On the cross, Jesus experienced the groaning of all nature. On the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. He got the silence of God so our sins could be covered. And someday we could stand before the Father in the new heaven and the new earth and sing in him perfectly. Amen. 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 Let's, let's pray. <clears throat> we thank you, Lord, that you are a composer. We thank you that you're a singer, and we thank you that you love to hear us sing, Lord. I pray that where our hearts are hard, or some of these words just maybe just bounced off of us, that you would give us hearts of flesh, Lord. That as the psalmist prayed, that you would restore to us the joy of our salvation. God, that you would free us up from our own dignity, that we might enjoy you fully. We ask that you would show us how to sing that you would continually inspire us to sing. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.